Thank you, Luke. Good morning, Conduit. How are you? My name's Cameron. I'm the other pastor here at Conduit. Um, and I'm, I'm excited for Celebrate Recovery. I will probably participate in that in as much as I am able to do so. Uh, and hope that you will choose to do so as well, if that's a part of, uh, or if that's something that you would like to do. Um, before we jump into the, service, or the sermon today, which we uh, were continuing in our series on King David, uh, so we'll be in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 11. Um, but before I do that, I have one other like brief announcement, and this is just like a housekeeping thing for you, because... Um, because I can get a little, because I have a little bit of anxiety about not working and being here, I'm letting you know that this week I'm going to be on vacation, okay? And so, <clears throat> um, and so, if you call me or text me or email me, just don't, okay? <laughs> Because I'm not likely to answer until I get back next week. Um, no, in, in all seriousness, like, um, I have, like, the best staff here, and Pastor Luke, and Jessica, and Ellen, and Jake, and, like, and Brandon. There's, if you need anything at all that maybe you would normally reach out to me for, <clears throat> reach out to one of them, and they will, um, they will take care of you. So, just wanted to let you know that. So, if you do reach out, and I don't respond I'm not mad at you. I really do like you. In fact, I love you, which is why it's so difficult for me to not be here, okay? Um, but it's going to be uh, uh, really looking forward to some time, uh, some time away with my wife, so. Um, okay, 2 Samuel, chapter 11, in the story of King David, all right? So, talked last week, we've talked several different times about the, the major, or the main, or the big moments in David's life. And everyone knows that there's two, right? Or everyone remembers that there's two. There is a moment of great victory, right? In the story of David and Goliath, right? And then there is a moment, uh, at least seemingly, of great failure, right? With what? David and Bathsheba, right? And so, most people... Um, most people can see both of these stories. Now, if you don't have any familiarity with the story of David, that's okay, too. Um, because there, I, I know that you will be able to see the realities of David's life and David's story in maybe stories that you've seen. Maybe it's your own story. Right? Maybe it's something that you've lived and experienced. right? Or maybe it's something that you've seen. Now, um, in the... In, a, in an effort to make sure that we know the details of the story, we're gonna, I'm going to read at least um, 2 Samuel chapter 11, okay? Which is the, David's meeting of Bathsheba and what has followed. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, King David sent Joab out with his men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked on, around on the roof of the palace, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. 
And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't that Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Then he went back home, or then she went back home. And the woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. And then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house, wash your feet. And so Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go to his own house. And when David was told, Uriah did not go home, he asked him, haven't you just come from a distance? Like, why, why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, The ark in Israel and Judah are staying in tents. My master Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. And then David said to him, Stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. And so Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and next. And at David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, Put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. And so while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. And when the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, when you have finished giving the king this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up and he may ask you, why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know? They would shoot arrows from the wall. Who killed Abimelech, son of Jerub? Didn't a woman throw an upper millstone on him? Why did you get so close to the wall? If he asks you this, then say to him, also, just in case you were wondering, uh, Uriah the Hittite happened to have died. The messenger set out, and when he arrived, he told David everything that Joab, Joab had said to him. And the messenger said to David, the men overpowered us, came out again in the open. We drove them back to the entrance of the city gates. The archers shot arrows at us. Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. David told the messenger, say this to Joab. Don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as the other. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. And after the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done had displeased the Lord. Now what we don't, now we're not going to have time to read this morning is the very next chapter, which I would encourage you to read on your own, which is chapter 12, where Nathan, the prophet of the Lord, comes and confronts King David about what has happened, about what David had done. Um, 
and the fallout from that. And, and Pastor Luke next week is going to talk a little bit about the fallout from what David did and then David's own response in that moment, uh, in, in those moments following, which is, which is horribly important. I mean, very important in the midst of fallout is how are we going to respond in the midst of sin? So the details then are relatively linear, right? David saw Bathsheba. He inquired about her. He had her brought to him. He slept with her. She got pregnant. He tried to hide his actions in several different ways. And then the prophet Nathan confronted him about what had happened. Now what does this story have to say about you? What does this story have to say by us? What does this story have to say about, about, about everything? Well, I think that there are, there are, there are, there's lots of things that we can pull um, about this. I think one of the things that um, is, a, like, is a large like, chunk of grace that the Lord gives to us is that um, we are not only defined by our worst moments. Right? In fact, most of us would, most of us, would define or like our first understanding or memory or um, story that we would know about David would be about David and Goliath, right? The great victory. And about David's, David's reign as a victorious and courageous king, someone who was an example for all of the nation of Israel for bravery in the face of fear or trusting in the Lord when everyone else was running in the opposite direction. Now, it would be very easy to say that, well, because of what David did with Bathsheba, that nothing else in his life matters. No good that he did, no righteousness that he displayed, no courage that he had, no, no way that he inspired a nation or led people to worship. Now, now, that's just plain not true. Because the Lord never only just defines us by the times that we've made a big, huge mistake. Are there still consequences for mistakes that we make? Of course that we do. But that's not the stamp of definition that the Lord puts on our lives. And because it's not the stamp of definition that the Lord puts on our lives, it is, it is not a stamp of definition that we should put on others' lives either. Not defining them by their worst moments or their most public decisions. And it's something often that we need to do not just for the other people in our lives, but that we need to do for us as well, like ourselves. Be, being willing, right, to, to, not, to not carry with us the shame of the decisions that we made that maybe have horrible, even sometimes public consequences that can essentially ruin us. To not carry that with us, because the Lord is not asking us to carry it with us. The Lord... Jesus carried that, and he carried it to the cross, and then he left it there for us. Now, that's maybe just a little aside to everything else that we're going to talk about this morning, but appropriate maybe for your life and for mine, certainly. We do want to talk about what actually happened with David, because I think it is important. I think there are things that we can learn from what David experienced and how we move forward, especially in moments of temptation. The very first thing is this, is that moments of temptation, all right? Moments of temptation are moments of 
decision. Moments of temptation present us with moments of decision. The reality is, is that David, in this moment and in this situation, he made a decision. He made a decision. He saw Bathsheba from the roof, right? One evening, David got up from his bed, walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And then what did David do? He turned and averted his eyes. He went back inside. He prayed for strength in the midst of temptation. Right? No. David made a decision, right? Hey, 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 come here, come here, come here, come here. There's a woman down there. She's beautiful. I want you to go get her and bring her up to me. Right. David made a very, a very distinct decision in that moment. It was, it was not something that happened in the spur of the moment. It was not spontaneous. It didn't just happen. David made a decision. He was... He came face to face with temptation and he made a decision in that moment to do something. Now, a few notes about temptation that I think are important for us this morning here. Now, was David, um, was David, was God testing David with Bathsheba? Was God using Bathsheba as a test for David's faithfulness and how closely he would follow him in the midst of temptation. Well, the scripture tells us very clearly right, that, that God does not use temptation. Right? That God does not tempt us towards evil. It does, not, it does not come from God. Temptation is the moment of decision that leads to sin, but it is not sin in and of itself. We, took, we turned to places like... Um, James, the book of James in the back of your Bible, chapter 1, verses 13 and 15. And we see the writer James say this, When tempted, no one should say, Well, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when by their own evil desire, they are dragged away and enticed. And then listen, right? So this is why we say that temptation leads to a moment to sit of, a, of decision that leads to sin. Okay? Temptation leads to sin, but it is not sin in and of itself. Then after desire has conceived, right? We, we allow it to take conception or root in our lives, right? It gives birth. And what does it give birth to? It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And we're not talking about spontaneous moments of, oh, I was absolutely powerless in the moment of temptation, and therefore it's not my fault. Really, it's God's fault for putting this in front of me, and I was completely powerless against it, Right? The reality is, is that temptation is not sin in and of itself, but it represents a moment of decision where we are 
either going to allow sin to be conceived within us and then have it give birth to sinful patterns or whether we will make a decision to walk away. Now, how do we know that temptation in and of itself is not sin? Well, we see that Jesus was tempted, right? Jesus himself was tempted in the desert before his ministry. Matthew chapter 4, he was tempted, he was tempted, he was tempted, he was tempted, right? And every time Jesus made a decision. We talked about a few months ago um, the ways in which Jesus defeated or handled temptation in that moment. But the reality is, is that David made a decision to have her brought to him. And as is often the case when we make decisions in the midst of temptation, he likely rationalized the decisions away. It will be okay. I've just never met this lady before, and she's really beautiful, and I thought, you know, uh, we'll just have her up for a nice cup of coffee, and we'll just talk about the bills, right? And But that wasn't it at all, right? He ra- he, you, can, you can understand how David in this moment probably rationalized the decision away. It will be okay. I, I just want to talk to her. Or can't we just be like, can I just have this conversation? I don't understand why this is such a big deal. And we begin to see how temptation in that moment was being conceived in David's heart. And it was about to give birth. To sin. Solomon, it's interesting, David's son, I don't know if reflecting on his own father's life or not, later wrote in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27 and 28, can a man scoop fire in his lap and not get burned? Can a man walk on coals without his feet being scorched? It'll be fine. I just want to talk. I just want to meet her. I want to talk. I just want to get to know her well, right? The moment of decision can often be rationalized away. Right? When, we, when, we, when we know that, right, like, hey, look, can you scoop fire on your lap and not be burnt? Well, maybe if you're, like, super-duper lucky, But likely, no. You're going to walk away scarred. And then in verse 4, we see that the moment of decision led to the conception of birth, or conception of sin. And in verse 4, he slept, it says he slept with her. The man said, isn't that, isn't this uh, Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And then David sent messengers to get her She came to him and he slept with her. Now, um, at at the behest of defending here Bathsheba a little bit, right? Like, well, Bathsheba should have known better too. Well, okay, yeah, but but listen, this isn't this isn't 21st century um, United States of America, all right? In the ancient Near East, when the king called for you and brought you into his chambers, you didn't have a say. Didn't matter who you were. Male, female, official, peasant, right? Like when the king said something, and then when the king did something, 
there was no arguing about it. Right? And so David used not only, David not only made, had a moment of decision, but he also used his position and his power right, to, to leverage against Bathsheba his own evil desire. And so he said, said he slept with her. I'm like, well, geez, David, I thought, well, I, you just brought her up. Like, what? I, didn't you just want to talk to her? You're like, well, well, wow, he brought her, he just, he saw her, he sent for her, he brought her up, and then he slept with her? Like, that seemed to escalate a little quickly, David, if you're, uh, if you're asking me. And on the surface, it seems that way. Right? On the surface, it seems like, wow, this happened so quickly. And how could you just do that, like that? Like, just make that decision, like, without any, like, thinking about it or without any, like, considering the consequences or anything like that. But actually, it didn't escalate quickly. It escalated gradually. Over a long period of time, in the environment of David's heart, where he made a thousand compromises of character and integrity and faithfulness to Jesus that led up to the ability to make one really bad decision. See, David became complacent and lazy in the place that God had given him to rule and to lead. Now, how do we know this, right? Well, we know it from the very first verses of 2 Samuel chapter 11. It's very subtle, right? But the writer says, In the springtime, when kings go off to war, you know what the role of the king was to do in the springtime? Lead the nation into battle. Be the first one on the field, right? Leading from the front. What was David? taking a nap in the palace. At some point, to use the term, like, David lost his edge. David became complacent in his leadership. He He became complacent in his calling to be a leader for the people of Israel. And he figured, you know what? I'll let someone else do it. Let someone else take care of it now. I'm like, super important. Super important. I'm gonna stay back in the palace let my men fight it. David became disengaged and lazy. And when we talk about what it takes or what happens when one big bad decision is made, we talk about things like, well, it's just like, it was just like, well, David's like, I just made one, like it was just one time, it was just one thing, it just kind of happened, right? And what we realize about things like this, and that we know about your, I know about my life, and you know likely about yours, is that it's not ever just one big decision. It's not ever just one big moment, but it's almost always a thousand little decisions that got us to that point. These small, little deviations, day in and day out, that lead us to lead us to rationalize and normalize decisions that we wouldn't have made 50 miles back. It's like, I'm not a, I'm not a, like I didn't grow up in the water and I don't really, 
Like, I don't understand, or even like maps, I don't understand like navigation or anything like that. But what I do know, right, is when you have a really long distance to go, where you have, when you have a very long course to travel, okay, if you start that course even one degree off center from the direction that you're supposed to go, and you maintain that one degree off center from the direction that you should have gone, right? About 50 miles down the path, you're not gonna be just one degree off the direction that, you're sh that you should have gone. You're gonna be 50 miles off. You're gonna be way off. You're gonna be so far off that you might not even know where you are or how to get back to the place that you should be. I think that's where David found himself. Is after a thousand compromises, after one degree off without correction, he found himself so far away that it seemed in that moment that making the decision in the face of temptation was just going to be okay, right? It was, it was going to be just fine, but in reality, it really wasn't. Here's the, here's the point that I want to get across to you with this particular thing here, is this. This is for you, and this is for me. This is for every single day, all right? Every single day. Small decisions of holiness, integrity, good boundaries that seem insignificant in the isolation of the moment are the key to maintaining longevity of faithfulness and escaping the big moment sin patterns of your life. It is not, right? It is not, well, I just got to avoid making the really big mistakes in those ultimate moments of temptation. Well, yeah, right? But listen, you are not going to escape the big moments of temptation, right? If you can't make decisions of integrity, holiness, and faithfulness when no one is watching. When no one is watching. That's where it starts. Actually, that's where it ends, too. Because it's a thousand decisions of integrity and faithfulness and holiness. Chained and linked together over time that help build the framework of strength that allows us in the moments of face-to-face -face with temptation to make a decision to say, I'm turning the other way. You know this and I know this, is that, is that sin, that sin always, it always, always, always costs more and takes more from us than it originally promised. 
I mean, what would David be thinking here in this moment? Well, it would just be, like, just be one time. It would just be this, this little situation here, right? It would just be this, like, it won't be a big deal. I'll send Bathsheba back to her house, right? Um, and no one will be the wiser. Well, so David sent this word to Joab. Um, uh, 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 hey, quick, send me back this guy's or this girl's husband because she's pregnant. And it's, I need to do something really quick. Now, David probably never conceived, never conceived in his mind, right, how much sin would take from him, right? Sin promised, oh, you deserve this, you're the king. It will feel good. Um, you can have her if you want her, right? And then no one will be, no one will ever know because you're the king. And if someone does know, you just have them, just have them off and no big deal, right? And so sin promised him all kinds of things, right? Oh, it's going to be okay. Oh, you deserve this. No one will ever know, right? And then once sin had him in the moment of decision, what did it do? It took everything from him. Everything. Sin always takes more than it promises. And it always costs more than you think it will. Even in the small decisions, well, it's just this little thing. No one's ever going to see and no one's ever going to know. No. False. It costs more than it's telling you it costs, and it will take more from you than you ever know or knew was possible. So what are David's thoughts here? Right? Well, I need to make this thing go away super quick. So he calls for Uriah the Hittite, right? Verse 11, Uriah said to David, like, hey, listen, uh, or David called Uriah home. Hey, man, nice to see you. Great job on the battlefield. High five. You know, I just think you should go home for the night or two or three, whatever you feel like doing, you know, just because. Um, just enjoy your family and everything, right? And Uriah, being like a warrior, comes back, or like, it was like, listen, I'm not, no. My men are out in the field. The ark, the presence of God that we talked about last week, is out sleeping in a tent. I'm not going home, right? right? Uriah was doing what David should have been doing. Right? He was like, I'm not doing this. And so what did David do? It's funny that what, what happens here is that, is that David gradually escalates the cover-up of his sin. First, he tries to cover it up just by getting Uriah to come home, right? Go sleep with your wife, essentially, right? He didn't say it, but go home, go be with your wife, right? Because I know if you go home and sleep with your wife, then we can pass it off as you two conceiving, not like, hey, how'd this happen, right? Well, when that, when that didn't work, right, then he called Uriah back to the palace, and what did he do then? He escalated it even further. How did he do that? Well, he decided, well, 
if I can't get Uriah to go home and sleep with his wife when he's sober, I'll get him drunk. I'll get him drunk, and then I'll send him back. Well, that didn't work either. So then what did David do? Well, then David's like, well, if I can't get him to go sleep with his wife, and then I can't get him drunk enough to do something that he previously said that he was going to do, that I guess my only option here is I'm going to have to make it look like he got killed in battle all on his own, and then I'll deal with the rest of everything else later. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that David gradually escalated the cover-up of his own sin, right? By one, just not being honest and trying to get Uriah to take care of his dirty work, and then getting Uriah drunk, right? And trying to take care of it. And then organizing um, Uriah's death, right? Gradually escalating it to try and cover it up. Do you know that the only the only way, the only way to hide sin is to sin more. That's the only way to do it. The only way to hide it, right, to cover it up, is to pile more sin on it. Because you know what? Like, sin wants to be out in the open. In fact, Moses... Um, in the book of Numbers, chapter 3, he, or 32, he says this, right? He says this in a manner of speaking. He says this to a group of, um, to a portion of the tribe of, uh, of Israel as they're, like, to, to two of the tribes, I think it is, like, as they're about to go into the promised land, two of the tribes wanted to stay on the Transjordan, or the, the east side of the Jordan and not follow the rest of the nation of Israel in, right? Like, okay, you got to stay over here, and you do this thing, and you look after all these things, right? But if you don't, it's going to be considered sin before the Lord, right? And I might not know about it, Moses says, but, but listen, he says, be sure, be sure, your sin will find you out. In a manner of speaking, he says, look, sin never stays private forever. It never stays hidden forever. And, and even over short periods of time or long periods of time, the only way to cover up and hide your sin is to continue in sin and likely to continue to escalate in sin. See, when we are convinced... This is, a, this, is a, um, this is a tenet of the gospel here for us. Right? I need you to hear and see the gospel. When we are convinced that the only way out of sin and the consequences that it brings in our lives is to hide, then we will go to extreme lengths to cover it up. When we're convinced that there's no way, there's no there's no other out. There is no other place. There's no, there is no other option in the midst of my sin and the consequences that it has brought in my life than to cover it up. When we are convinced that that's the only option, right, we will go to extreme lengths to cover it up and it will cause 
increasing destruction. But I want you to hear something, okay? This notion up here, that the only option in the midst of sin in my life and yours, that the only option in the midst of the consequences of our, um, of our giving into temptation, the only option is not to hide. In fact, that's actually the worst option. And the, the temptation that you may feel to hide and the desire that you may feel to cover it up is a lie that the enemy speaks into your life in order to keep you in darkness. Hiding your sin is not the only option. The enemy wants you to feel like you've got to hide it. Right? Because he wants you to keep it in the darkness. But there is only one way to make darkness go away in your life. It's not to cover it up with more darkness. The only way to make darkness go away is to expose it to the light. There is, only, there is only one way to take a completely dark situation and make it light. And that's ex to expose it to the light. You cannot hide darkness with darkness. You cannot destroy darkness with darkness. You cannot escalate or hide your way out of sin or its consequences. The only way out is to expose it to the light and let the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ eliminate the darkness from you forever. The Apostle John talked about this explicitly in his epistle in 1 John. And we're going to go there as we close this morning. He says this in 1 John, starting in chapter 1, verse 5, going through um, all the way into chapter 2. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, purifies us from all sin. Amen. And if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Listen, hear this, church, okay? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, if we, if we refuse to take what has put us in the darkness, 
and trying to cover it up with more darkness, right? But if we confess that and bring it into the light of his presence, he is faithful and just to forgive us for our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Chapter 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So what does John say here in his epistle? Right? He says this, right? Essentially, these kind of five points, right? God is light. God is light. Walking in the light purifies us from all sin. As we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us from our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who is the righteous one of God. Listen, you may be thinking that there is no way that I can let anyone see the darkness of the decisions that I have made. The place where I have like gone. The, the, the darkness of my, of my decisions, the, the like unrighteousness of my soul, the things that I have done or said or do or take part in, there is, I am going to hide from this forever. And I am just going to pile it under a big blanket of whatever I got to do to make sure it doesn't, like, it doesn't come out. Listen, it's going to come out. It's going to. It is going to come out. Be sure your sin will find you out. Sin will be conceived in your life. It will give birth. Right? It will be brought out. It will happen. Right? And piling more darkness on it is not going to make it go away. But allowing... Jesus Christ, the righteous one of God, to walk with you as, as, as God purifies you from all unrighteousness. As God brings the darkness of your life into the light. As God is faithful and just to forgive you from your sins. All of the darkness that you've been covered in all of the weight that you have been carrying, you will feel it fall off of your soul. Now listen, church. This is not just for the individual you. Right? 
This is also for the collective us. Because, because, the, because exposing darkness and confessing sin can often be quite a, a messy endeavor in relationship with other people. And it might not always be appropriate for you to stand up and be like, okay, I have something to confess. Right? Not recommended best practice. Um, I'm going to tell you that. Right? Not recommended best practice. But if there's one person, or two people, or a small group of people that you trust can see you through gospel-centered eyes. Jesus-centered, like, spirit. Where, where I am a safe place to help you expose the dark parts of your soul to the light of Jesus Christ. Then that confession, and in those moments... You will be set, you will, you will watch God set you free from darkness and pain that you thought you would never escape from because you did not know, or you, or you were never told, or you were too scared, right, to let it all out. And if you're doing that now, if you're doing that now, you know what I'm talking about, right? You can witness to that truth. Maybe a little bit, um, I would say, like it's kind of maybe anecdotal. It's not necessarily true from the, um, it's not necessarily witnessed in the story of David here, although I think it's implied, um, is this, is that when it comes to the darkness in our lives that we try to hide and our willingness or its exposure, the truth is, is that it's going to be exposed, okay? The darkness, it will be exposed, it, you know, the, be sure your sin will find you out. It's not like, God, is, God will not be mocked, okay? He will not be mocked. And, and, and as we try to cover up our own sin and our own darkness, it will get brought out. In, it will get brought out, right? Someone will find out. Someone will know. It will cause destruction and consequences in your life if not confessed. Um, here's my, you know, like 17 years as a pastor now, that here's, here's my um, best practice, all right? Best advice. Um, confession, willingly coming forward to bring, bring things out into the light. Confession is better for the soul and the circumstances than exposure. I mean, coming forward and being like, I have sinned and I need to experience the forgiveness of God and I need to experience the forgiveness maybe of you or I need, I need your help to walk through the consequences that I'm experiencing for the decisions that I've made right that confession and the things that follow it is a um, it's not an easy path to walk right but I will tell you, it is, a much, it is a much easier path to walk than 
I'm going to keep it hidden, but boom, now it's out and I have no control over it, right? And I didn't expect it. And now here it is. And it's like, oh, it's gut wrenching. Right? Confession is better for the soul. It's better for the consequences. It's better for the circumstances, all right? Take my word for it. I've seen it a hundred times. I've seen it a thousand times. I've experienced it myself, personally, in my own life. Confession is better. Bringing it to Jesus is better. Surprise, surprise, right? Now, I am fully aware that we may be, we may be in a place now where the Holy Spirit has been, as soon as I started talking about secret sin, right? That the Holy Spirit was just like shooting right to the center of your soul. And bringing light to the darkness that you've been trying to hide. And shining a big old fat spotlight on it. Being like, hey, still trying to hide this? It's right here. It's right here. It's right here. And I, I know, I know. I can't tell you how I know. But I just, because just I know, right? Because the Holy Spirit's witnessing to my spirit right now that this is the case. That's why, right? That there are people in this room who have been living under the weight of secret sin and have no idea what to do with it. And they're riddled with shame and you're riddled with guilt and you, you are scared to death that someone is going to find out or someone is going to know or it's going to get exposed and what it's going to mean and how it's going to fall and what the fallout is going to be and then what the, how, how are people going to think of you. And you are, you would, if you had an opportunity to lay it at the feet of someone or with someone who is safe, right? That you, there's nothing more than you would like to do than to set those weights down. Well, I'll tell you what, listen, this is your morning then. This is your morning. Because, because there's nothing but the light, the light of the Father here. There's nothing but the light, there's nothing but the light of the Lord. And if, and if you desire in, in these next few moments, in these next few minutes, right, to set down the things of darkness that you've been carrying for so long and ask Jesus Christ to forgive you and to purify you and to help you walk in the light, then this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for you to do it with no shame, with no guilt, even with no specifics required, I don't need to know, they don't need to know, you don't need to know, you don't need to know, right? All that needs to know right now is you and Jesus. Jesus, I need you to take this. And then, and then my encouragement and then my challenge to you would be to find one person, 
just one. One person that you can say, this is what's been going on in my life. Maybe for the last week or maybe for the last 40 years, right? This is what's been going on in my life. I heard the Lord speaking to me that it's about to be exposed. (laughs) And I heard the Lord speaking and I heard the Lord speaking and I am ready to confess the depth of this darkness and ask the Lord to begin his purifying work in my heart. That I am a safe person for that. If I need to be your person this morning, then let me be your person. If Pastor Luke needs to be your person, let Pastor Luke be your person. If you, if you feel safe in relationship with someone else in this room, let you ha- have that conversation. But listen, confession must happen. It must happen first before the Lord, but then, listen, there's also some, there's also some like keeping it there in the proverbial like darkness, right? Telling someone else, right? Brings it out into the, into the light of like complete day. I've, I've shared with you many times here before um, that, uh, that I have, for most of my adult life, um, struggled with addiction to alcohol, right? I've been sober for many years now. Um, by God's grace and by God's grace only, right? But listen, the defining moment for me in my, uh, in, in addiction for me was not even the decision of like, okay, I need to like, something needs to change. The defining moment for me was when I told someone not my wife. Like, um, hey Cameron, you want a drink? Well, yes, I do. However, I don't, and I want to tell you why. It's because I am an alcoholic, and I'm asking the Lord to, like, heal me from this. And it was that moment that just kind of, like, blew the lid off of the darkness and the shame and the guilt of, like, hiding under this, like, well, no one knows, so I'm still safe. Right? I wasn't safe. I was so vulnerable because I was hiding. Right? But when I came, when it came out, it was like, oh, let me support you. Let me encourage you. Like, let me love you through this, right? So it even just takes that one moment, that one person, that one time of confession, right? That blows the lid off of the darkness that you've been trying to hide everything underneath and it will change everything for you it will change everything bring it to jesus confess your sin take it to someone else confess your sin watch the lord bring light into places that you thought would only ever be dark We're going to leave both of the altars. I'm not going to leave them. They're always open, right? I'm going to take the closed sign off the altars, right? Uh, (laughs) Both of the altars are open, right? If you need a place to pray in confession, right? We're going to come up and pray. If you don't feel like you can 
You don't feel like you can make that step, right? Which is a huge step. You don't think you can make that step and you need to pray right you, where you are? Listen, the Lord's going to hear you still, okay? All right? Maybe you come up and talk with Pastor Luke or myself or someone else in the room afterwards about, like, this is what I've been doing. This is what's going to be happening. You're not going to get anything from me but a hug and prayer. Right? None, none of this, like, ooh. I love you. I love you. The Lord loves you. He doesn't want to see you in darkness anymore. Let's pray together as the worship team comes back up and leads us into a moment of decision. Heavenly Father, we know that temptation is also an incredible moment of decision, a moment of turning from our sin and turning to you and trust in you, Lord. Lord, we also know that when your Holy Spirit speaks into our lives, that now is the moment of confession, Father, that it is, that's a decision that we um, that we should yield to, that we should hear, that we should submit and surrender our will to, Lord. And so, Father, I pray that those in this room right now, those listening to my voice who are sitting under the weight of secret sin, that have been just covered up in darkness for days, weeks, months, years, generations even, Lord. Lord, that this would be the moment of decision. The moment of decision to walk out of darkness and into light. To take the darkness that's inside, Lord, and open the door so that the light of God in Jesus Christ, Lord, may illuminate every dark spot that we have. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that chains would be broken this morning. That darkness would be extinguished in the name of Jesus. Lord, that in the light of your presence that you would give people the joy of freedom in Christ. Lord, that would, revival would come to hearts and revival would come to homes this morning. Lord, that you would change and transform us from the inside out as we as we surrender and confess to you.